Okay, so I'm really happy to welcome back a guest we had way back pre-COVID in 2020, Manib Ali, who's CEO and founder of Hero System. Welcome, Manib. Excited to be back. So you're also founder of Stacks, which effectively enable smart contracts for Bitcoin, formerly known as Blockstack. And it's an, this open source platform, as I said, that allows for smart contracts and decentralized applications on Bitcoin. Um, and so we're going to talk about, we're going to catch up firstly. I mean, the last episode we did, we went into great detail about you know, your journey as a founder, your background, I'd highly recommend people go and listen to that if they want to get to know you a little bit better. But, you know, fast forward, perhaps a little bit less than two years on, it's going to be great to hear, firstly, what's going on in the Bitcoin ecosystem. I know you feel very strongly that um, it's sometimes overlooked. Lots of new layer ones coming online, a lot of the attention being grabbed um, by them. And... Uh, and then more specifically here about you know, the role that Stacks is, is playing in that ecosystem. Um, perhaps before we do that, though, it would be good to just untangle at the top end I mentioned, you'll see a founder of Hero System at the same time we're talking about Blockstack. Can you just give us a very quick primer on the difference between those two entities, how they work together? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, the best way to think of this is uh, Stacks is a decentralized open source project. Anyone can contribute to it. And there are many different entities uh, work, working in this ecosystem. And I think this is something I'm actually pretty proud of in the in the Stacks ecosystem, because if you look at a lot of new L1s, uh, you notice that typically they would have like one big company behind a protocol. And then people kind of like almost like interchange the protocol with the company, right? So it will, uh, whereas in this ecosystem, we actually paid a lot of attention to uh, decentralize things as much as possible. So the last time we talked, it was pre-mainnet launch, right? So we were kind of like heads down working on the core technology. And then as we approached the mainnet, like this is where kind of like we simplified the name of the project as well, like just call it Stacks. Like there are so many things called block something out there. So we wanted, wanted to just avoid the confusion, but it also helped to uh, separate the project from various companies as well, right? So if you look at Hero, Hero is a, a dev tooling company. So it builds developer tools for Stacks, which is a programming layer enabling smart contracts for Bitcoin. Uh, so it builds dev tools for Stacks and Bitcoin as well. And there are a bunch of other companies like, you know, for example, Trust Machines is a entity that is focused on building uh, Bitcoin applications through Stacks. Uh, there are like nonprofit uh, foundations in the ecosystem. There are also like miners and other startups. I think by some count, they're probably like close to 50 independent entities in the ecosystem now, which is which is both like a sign of like, this is great. Like the, this is growing a lot, like especially over the last year. Uh, when the, when the mainnet launch happened uh, in Q1 of last year, and so that's that's kind of like the difference. I think the best way to think about this is just like Bitcoin is a project protocol, open source, and then there are companies like Blockstream that work in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, and we this is this is the same thing here. Like Stacks is a protocol, open source project. 
and a bunch of different companies are, are working in it. So that's that's that. In terms of kind of like coming back to what we are talking about, I think even before we get into like catching up on you know stuff that happened in the last two years, I think maybe it's important to first like uh, frame the high level that why why it might be interesting to actually uh, try and bring Web three like functionality uh, or smart contracts to the Bitcoin ecosystem versus Bitcoin just being kind of like simple store of value, digital gold, and then smart contracts happening kind of like elsewhere. Because that's, I think that's where most people start. Like they, they would ask the question that, hey, why why would you even need these things in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem to begin with? Yeah, and I know that many see Bitcoin already as a complete success, uh, you know, either as this uh, increasing global treasury instrument, you know, explicitly as a replacement for gold or otherwise. And this kind of thought that, well, why does it need to do anything else? It's, it's already successful. It's already becoming more successful uh, with time. So as you say, why do we need to be doing Web3-like things on it that have perhaps been the preserve of Ethereum and now all these other other layer ones? And I know, um, well, and firstly, look, congratulations for the success of those 50 different organizations, because I kind of recall that being a stated aim, not the number 50, but the idea that there would be more organizations uh, building on the network. So well done for, for achieving that. And I know um, we're recording now in April 2022, beginning of the month, um, you had Bitcoin Unleashed, which was effectively the Stack Summit, um, which I heard was a great success. So congratulations on that. And and the community momentum that you're you're building up there. Um, so let's come back to, to that overarching point. You know why why does Bitcoin need to do anything else as a network? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks, thanks so much. And so I think the way to think about this is that if Bitcoin is sound money, and I and I agree that Bitcoin is already winning in in that category. It is, uh, it has clearly differentiated itself as like, hey, Bitcoin does just one thing. It's decentralized sound money. Uh, it's an inflation hedge. You can use it as almost like a, a savings account. And, you know, Bitcoin is just meant to do that. Uh, I think, I think if you play that out, uh, and Bitcoin is already is roughly like a trillion, trillion dollars worth of capital sitting there. In the future, it might be like several trillions of dollars of capital that is sitting there. So logically, people are going to try and use that capital, right? They are going to try and deploy it. Like it's not going to remain a passive store of value, which right now it is largely a passive store of value. Even if you're a public company, you might have Bitcoin on your balance sheet, but you aren't really doing anything with that Bitcoin. It's just kind of like sitting there. Versus if you look at the smart contract platforms, uh, Ethereum namely, and then obviously the newer ones, they're kind of like coming at it from the other side of the picture. They're building smart contract functionality with productive capital. So ETH is actually heavily deployed in smart contracts. People are earning yield, the yields on it, and they're doing all sorts of things. And then the theory over there, this is where the Bitcoin versus uh, Ethereum competition kicks in a little bit, is that Ethereum is trying to be sound money, right? Like or ultra sound money, because they realize that eventually the biggest moat for any of these blockchains to be successful like over, over decades is going to be like if you actually become money. Like some, some blockchain project is going to become that. Bitcoin is by far winning, but 
people in the Ethereum community realize that, right? So there, there is an inherent tension within Ethereum. Uh, I think Vitalik actually had a great blog post about it uh, recently, maybe four or five weeks ago it came out. Maybe you can link it in the show notes where he talks about the last five years of Ethereum and some of the design decisions, what went right, what could have been different. And then looking forward, uh, he points out, and I completely agree with, with him, uh, this inherent tension in Ethereum right now where Ethereum needs to make a decision. And this is, these are Vitalik's words, that do we want to be more simple like Bitcoin at the base layer and focus on like just being money? Or do we want to be more complex and more experimental like a smart contract platform, which is what Ethereum does today, right? And even a lot of the Ethereum developers are raising the red flag that, look, the Ethereum base layer is just becoming too complicated. You're adding like levels and, and levels of complexity over, over time. So that's the inherent tension, uh, which, you know, the way we look at this, that on the Bitcoin side, there's a very clean separation. Bitcoin is simple. It's durable. It's the base layer. And Ethereum is going to end up scaling through L2s anyway. So if you can bring these additional functionality or additional complexity of smart contracts and other, other types of features as layers around Bitcoin, like that's a very clean approach, right? Like Bitcoin remains uh, simple and money, and then you can bring the smart contract functionality here. And why, why is that important? I think it's important to double click on that point. So let's say, let's say for some reason you don't do that, right? And the status quo kind of like continues, people are already wrapping Bitcoin and trying to issue that on Ethereum. But that that is that is a point of centralization and a point of failure, right? Because the wrapped Bitcoin is actually going through a, a custodial and they, A, like, you know, they they do KYC. It's not like fully decentralized. And you're dependent on that on that party that is doing custody. So let's play that out. Like right now, maybe like 1% of Bitcoin is issued as, as wrapped Bitcoin on, on Ethereum. Uh, if that number starts to go up, like, you know, what happens when 10% of Bitcoin needs to be wrapped? Uh, at some point, like there's just too much capital that is sitting at a single custodial entity for it to be practical uh, in, in DeFi, right? Like you, you can't have like a single point of failure where this one custodial gets hacked and suddenly like 20% of the Bitcoin supply disappears, right? So th th those are the reasons where it will, Bitcoin, wrapped Bitcoin would always be less secure than Bitcoin on the main Bitcoin chain. So if you can just enable Bitcoin as productive capital where users can actually just use their multi-sig Bitcoin wallet, like, you know, however you keep your Bitcoin, and just make it productive directly. If you want to swap into a stablecoin, just do a Bitcoin transaction and you can swap into a stablecoin. If you want to purchase an NFT, just do a normal Bitcoin transaction and you can actually purchase an NFT. I think that's a potentially a very large market because Bitcoin is already, you know, a trillion dollars worth of capital mostly just sitting there. And I think it's, it's quite fascinating that a lot of developers in the crypto industry are not paying a lot of attention to that pool of capital, but they're actually attracted to kind of like newer uh, smart contract platform. So it's a, it's a little bit of a contrarian bet right now, which is, which is super interesting. Yeah. And of course it's not, it's not uncontroversial within the Bitcoin community itself. Right. And I know, you know, sometimes I feel a great sympathy for you. I follow you on Twitter a lot and I see you bat battling both within the Bitcoin community and then, you know, trying to educate outside of it 
that you know this place is a friendly environment for developers and and make make the case that you just made so do we need to would you need to effectively the starting point presumably of making bitcoin productive capital would be to replicate defi on bitcoin right because uh, i mean you could almost is that the starting point before you would move into anything else would there be any point in looking to roll out bitcoin nfts ahead of that yeah so i think i think let's let's first look at the point about how education is kind of like needed in both directions right so one of the things that happened in the bitcoin community and i've been i've been a part of it like since like 2013 or so interestingly the bitcoin community was actually a lot more open to new things being built on bitcoin and new ideas uh kind of like coming out uh pre-2017 i would say right so the time frame between 2013 and 2016 or so uh if you look at it there were so many kind of like new types of things built on bitcoin Uh, a lot of people at this point wouldn't even be familiar with it right so but just to name a few uh there was omni protocol which basically enabled stable coins issuance so tether was issued on top of omni protocol before before anywhere else right so everyone knows about tether they don't know that this started on bitcoin Right. Similarly, NFTs uh, started with Counterparty, which was which was on top of Bitcoin. So th- these are both Omni Protocol Counterparty. They're they're literally on top of the Bitcoin main chain, right? So you're issuing these new types of NFTs on top on on by doing a Bitcoin transaction. And people might know about rare Pepe's, but not a lot of them would know about it. Like back in 2016, those were kind of like the earliest NFTs. And now most of the NFT trading volume. Our, our NFTs are associated with Ethereum, right? So interestingly, what happened in the Bitcoin community back in 2017 is that they had like this pretty, it was almost like a civil war internally when Bitcoin forks were happening. Some people were asking for larger block space. And then at the same time, the threat of Ethereum emerged. And, 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 and there was a huge cultural difference between the Bitcoin community and the Ethereum community. But the reaction it was almost like the defense mechanism that the Bitcoin community had was a little bit like, look, don't change Bitcoin. We don't want any changes to the base layer because just being money is enough. And at the same time, all these other use cases, they're kind of stupid, right? Like we don't want these. So they've gone into like a very defensive mode of like, we don't even want DeFi. We don't even want NFTs and so on, which is kind of like, you know, Bitcoin is an open network. Like people are going to come in and they're going to develop whatever they want to develop on top of it. And no one, no one can kind of like stop that. And if anything, like you need to encourage innovation, you need to encourage a lot of developers to come in and innovate in the Bitcoin ecosystem versus elsewhere. So I think a lot of the true OGs of the Bitcoin community, they're actually pretty open to uh, building on Bitcoin and actually enhancing enhancing Bitcoin in layers. So I think Lightning is a great example because Lightning is a faster payments layer on top of Bitcoin. And because it doesn't require any new gas token, uh, it is acceptable in the kind of like Bitcoin radical community, right? Because they're like, look, Lightning Lightning is amazing. And it is uh, kind of like, it is not introducing any other assets. Uh, Whereas other types of solutions that do require kind of like new assets to be issued, the main difference is that you know anything that requires a global ledger uh, typically requires um, some sort of mining incentives and a gas asset. But then smart contracts typically require global ledgers. Uh, Lightning, Lightning doesn't have smart contracts. Right. So the Bitcoin community would have some, not all of them, but some of them would have like some sort of a negative reaction to that. So, so that becomes a very interesting dynamic where 
outside of the Bitcoin community, you're kind of like trying to educate people that, hey, look, you know, you can build all sorts of interesting things on Bitcoin. And then within the Bitcoin community, you're trying to educate them from a different angle that these new types of things are actually good for Bitcoin because they grow the GDP of the Bitcoin economy. They expand the pie for everybody. And you're actually growing the size of the Bitcoin economy by, by enabling all these applications uh, on, on, on Bitcoin directly. I mean, to be honest with you, it, it still just confuses me as to, <laughs> to why a Bitcoin maxi would have a problem with that, of new assets within and on top of the Bitcoin network. But, you know, that, I mean, there they you go. Um, and of course, there's, you know, lots of people within the Bitcoin narrative now that are incredibly influential, right? Um, driving a lot of the media attention and seen to represent the Bitcoin community as a whole, um, rather than necessarily reflecting um, you know, the kind of spectrum of thought. Um, how hard is it for you to, to cut through in all that noise? I think, I think it's very interesting because uh, the average Bitcoiner actually owns Bitcoin and other assets, Absolutely. right? Like this is, this is, this is like, like me. this is like yeah. just a, just a fact. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is just a fact, right? Like, uh, I think there was a survey of, uh, uh, probably, uh, Genesis did that maybe like 80, 87% of people who own Bitcoin also hold their other assets. I think forget about that. Like you recently, you know, you mentioned Bitcoin Miami and we had an event there where so many entrepreneurs and developers showed up at our event and there's so much support for what we're doing. And even at the main Bitcoin conference, uh, there was a very interesting clip where somebody asked that how many here kind of like own uh, Ethereum and like 80% of the hands went up. This is like people at the main Bitcoin conference. And it's a little bit like, you know, as the Bitcoin community is growing, even originally, as I said, like back in the day, people were pretty much open to other assets, other ideas. Satoshi directly contributed to Namecoin. Namecoin had a different asset, right? So the the origins of Bitcoin are are, are very supportive to other assets and and other types of innovation. Even when uh, you know the Bitcoin community is growing right now, I think this maxi uh, population gets diluted down. Right. So I think they still have some sort of a voice because they get invited to stage and hold their kind of like radical views uh, on stage. But it, it frankly, is, it's like hilarious that a bunch of them privately don't even believe those things. Right. So privately, their actions actually are, are very much different and they would own a bunch of assets, but they'll be like, hey, I'm not going to admit that publicly because somehow they've cornered themselves. I think we're just in a unique point in time where a bunch of these people have cornered themselves in a situation where they're almost like, because of peer pressure, they're almost like forced to hold certain opinions publicly, even if they don't believe believe in them privately. Yeah, and it's bad, you know, they built a personal brand around being a Bitcoin maxi, right? So it's, it's bad, bad for the brand. Um, and, you know, as, as you say, look, I mean, almost everybody, if they were to be considered a crypto OG, OG started in the Bitcoin community, Vitalik being a great example of that. Um, and you're absolutely right, you know, to, to highlight the fact that, you know, what it wasn't referred to as an NFT back then, but, you know, colored coins and the precursor to NFTs happened on, on the Bitcoin network with things like um, Counterparty. Um, so, so maybe then let's talk about, we mentioned 
the Lightning Network and why that's perhaps um, the more palatable version of doing innovation, enabling innovation on the Bitcoin network. But as you said, it doesn't allow for smart contracting. Um, how can you talk about the difference between stacks and Lightning? And then really, I guess uh, there are other within that within that range of innovation, are there, are there other approaches that you're seeing that are complementary or, or competing to what you're trying to do? Yeah, so I think uh, Lightning is a very complementary technology. Uh, it's basically, think of this as Lightning is like faster payments, which are uh, off-chain, and then they settle on Bitcoin. And what we're saying is that you can have a smart contract layer that is also settling transactions on Bitcoin. So the way Stacks works is it's a separate programming layer. It has a global ledger because you require that to build build like you know uh, smart contracts and, and and the type of applications that you need. But let's say there's a, are a thousand transactions on Stacks, they automatically settle on Bitcoin every single block. It's it's a little bit similar to how Lightning channels when they close, you'll see a transaction on the on the main Bitcoin chain. And so that's our way to kind of like scale uh, scale smart contract transactions around Bitcoin in layers, and then benefit from the security of Bitcoin. And then interestingly, uh, the way the, the stacks works is that uh, you can do a normal Bitcoin transaction that to interact with the smart contracts that are running on the stacks layer, which is which is which leads to interesting applications like there's a Bitcoin lending application called Zest that's coming online. So if you want, if you are hold, holding Bitcoin and you want to lend it out and earn a yield, but you don't want to go to like a BlockFi or some other centralized party to take a counterparty risk there. Uh, you can just use your normal Bitcoin wallet, do a normal Bitcoin transaction to lend out your BTC through a smart contract on, on, on Stacks that can basically read all of this information and react to it and, and then start earning a Bitcoin yield uh, that will just show up in your wallet. And that and, and I think when, when people experience that, they have the aha moment, right? So one, one uh, smart contract uh, on Stacks Live, like that has like maybe like 600, 700 million dollars locked up right now, uh, is a Bitcoin uh, yields application where people are earning up to eight, nine percent in pure BTC yield. And the first time, you know, Bitcoin shows up in your wallet as as a yield, like people have this like magical aha moment. And and like I like the first time this product went live last year, I was literally getting text messages from my friends who are sending me screenshots of their Coinbase wallet. And they're like, oh my God, Bitcoin just showed up in my wallet. Like I'm earning Bitcoin, right? Like the, the kind of reaction people have because they've, they've never thought of Bitcoin as uh, this, you can have native DeFi-like applications for Bitcoin, right? So they've never really experienced that. So you really need to experience it to, to uh, feel the power of it. And coming back to Lightning, it's very complimentary because there are already Lightning swaps to stacks that are live, which means that if you want to swap into a stablecoin, you can do a Lightning transaction and basically purchase the stablecoin. And the stablecoin would be would be on the stacks layer. Same for NF, uh, Bitcoin NFTs. So these Bitcoin NFTs are defined by stacks contracts, but again, they settle on Bitcoin, and the ownership and the transfers are basically dependent on the Bitcoin state. But you could purchase them through Lightning. Like imagine how much NFT trading happens uh, on OpenSea in ETH, and Bitcoin is a trillion dollars of capital just sitting there, and right now NFTs don't trade against BTC. Right. And this so this type type of infrastructure is literally enabling that. And we, we recently, you know, showed somebody uh, Cash App, 
so the so the benefits of building in Bitcoin is that you kind of like benefit from the network effects of the Bitcoin ecosystem getting more adoption, right? So uh, Cash App integrated Lightning, Robinhood integrated Lightning. What that means is that the entire user base of Cash App and Robinhood can now swap into stable coins or NFTs directly from Cash App or Robinhood, which is huge, right? I don't again, I don't think a lot of people know about this that because of our work. You can just open up normal Cash App and purchase an NFT through a stable coin that will go basically the, uh, through Lightning uh, because they support Lightning and we can do atomic swaps with Lightning. So that's the kind of like benefit and magic of uh, working with Bitcoin that as Bitcoin itself is getting more adoption, is getting integrated and, and, and going mass market, like all these applications that you're building in the Bitcoin ecosystem, they, they get exposure to a much, much larger user base. Yeah, and and because I've not heard, you know, Dorsey Jack Dorsey talk about how that problem has been technically solved so much. Right, clearly, it's a very high-profile person. You know, probably one of the best-known Bitcoiners. How is how is Stacks kind of perceived by people like him? I think it's a, it's a spectrum, right? So. Um... I, I don't know about Dorsey's personal views. Like we we follow each other on Twitter, so I, I think he, he might be somewhat aware of of stacks. But in general, I would say it's a, it's a spectrum. Like there are people who like we call it kind of like the purple pill because stacks logo is purple. So there are people who say that you know once you take the orange pill and then you realize uh, that stacks can actually make Bitcoin much more valuable. And uh, you take the purple pill, and then you're sold, right? Like so, there's the the, the community. There's a community of Bitcoiners who basically think the stacks is like the best thing ever on the planet. They they call it kind of like you know, it, it can turn Bitcoin into a black hole where it starts absorbing all the use cases uh, from from other chains. And Bitcoin is already so dominant, just as a, a store of value. Like imagine if Bitcoin also becomes a platform. And stable coins are issued on Bitcoin. NFTs are issued on Bitcoin, and in a very scalable way in layers. Like I think at that point, you have a very strong argument that why would someone go anywhere else uh, instead of just using Bitcoin-based applications, right? So, so there's that community. Then there, I think there is a there's a bunch of Bitcoiners who, frankly, like they don't even know about it yet, right? Like this was a surprising Which finding even for me you know, personally. You guys have been around for a, a long time. You, you personally have a great profile. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? That, that, that it is amazing, and it is something I do think that um, because the project was started by computer scientists and engineers. If you look at the type of people working in our ecosystem, we're very, very engineering focused, heavily engineering focused, right? I myself, I'm a computer scientist first. Like I think over time, I've kind of like forced myself to have a public profile and like talk more and things like that. And I'm trying to uh, get better at simplifying concepts and 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 things like that. But I think historically, uh, our ecosystem has probably not done as good of a job purely on the marketing and project awareness side that some of the other projects would have. Like, like you know, some of the easier ones to pick on would be things like Tron, right? Like a lot more people know about Tron than they know about Stacks, right? But if you look at actual innovation and actual interesting uh, things being built, like the the ratio of like signal to noise is very different in in the stacks ecosystem versus anywhere else. So I do think I'm I'm starting to focus on that a little bit more. Like I don't know if you uh, saw it recently, we were able to get uh, Aubrey to join 
uh, Trust Machines uh, recently, and you know she's she's a, she's a great marketing and comms person. And similarly, we have a bunch of other uh, interesting hires uh, in various entities lined up. So I do think this is an area where we need more help. But I think bringing on the right people would uh, would, would help that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely recommend to not necessarily become more like Justin Sun. I think you're doing. I think you're just doing <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't set that as a benchmark. Um, no, I, I think that's that's jokes aside. But uh, I think I think there's something to be said about even if you look at someone like uh, you know Gunther, like he's clearly very technical. But Avalanche is in my view, done a good job of like raising awareness and excitement around, around the project. Right. So it's like, I think our team has like a similar background as like the Avalanche core team. They come from Cornell. We mostly come from Princeton, but I do think that uh, we, we need to level up a little bit more on the comms and marketing side. So as I said, um, there was this recent event of yours, effectively the Stacks conference. I don't know if it's an annual one or you do, you're going to be doing it more regularly, but can you tell us, um, more about the kind of things that are being built there, where you're seeing momentum and, and, and traction. And I don't know how much of that's directed or is kind of just organic. It's it's almost all of that is organic. Like that's, that's another thing that we're also very proud of that this is an ecosystem where, you know, we are not throwing out incentives at people. It's not like we say like, hey, here's $100 million of free money. Anyone can come and, you know, come come in and start building here. It's really people who are mission driven, like people who, are, who believe in the thesis, who think that, you know, building on Bitcoin is the right call for the long term. And they're very excited about it. It's, 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 it's a bunch of like people, it's a mix, right? So it's a bunch of people who believe in Bitcoin, like, you know, the, the orange pill. And then they're like, we want to contribute by building applications here and expanding the Bitcoin ecosystem. Then there's another category and there are people who are very sophisticated engineers who will take like a deep dive into the technology and they appreciate our, our programming language. So it's a different programming language uh, that, that we invented called Clarity along with some engineers from Algorand and MIT. And it is a much, much safer programming language. So just like I think in Bitcoin, people take security much more seriously that you know, there's a reason why Bitcoin doesn't have full tiering complete contracts at the base layer. So there, there are folks who appreciate the design of Clarity, that how it limits kind of like certain types of uh, bugs that can happen in, in smart contracts or enables, uh, you know, formal verification more easily. So there, we get that crowd that are people like, hey, you guys are very thoughtful about how smart contracts should be programmed. And, and, and so on. So I think it's a it's, it's a mix of people, but it is very, very organic, which is something I'm, I'm actually very proud of because I think incentives attract mercenaries. And when the incentives run out, those people will disappear. Whereas if you get mission-driven people who are actually sold on a thesis and they would they would they're willing to work on something for free, like I think it just builds a different kind of a community and a, and a, and a different type of a momentum. Yeah, and you know, I've always I've always uh, understood that about you. You know, you're playing the long game here. So can you tell us some of the things to look forward to that's happening in the ecosystem over the next 12, 18 months? Yeah, I think I think a lot has changed like since the last time that we spoke. I think by the time our mainnet was going live, like last year, Q1, uh, we were sitting at a maybe 250 million market cap. Now we're sitting at close to like $2 billion in market cap, close to a billion dollars deployed. In, into smart contracts. And I think recently we've also seen 
uh, not just funding for some of the various entities, like close to like $300 million of fresh capital came in, like my entity raised $150 million round, but also builders, like they're able to come here, come into the ecosystem and raise independent capital and go off and actually build these various applications for Bitcoin, which is just amazing to see. So I mentioned that they're close to like 50 independent startups now, and they've kind of like over the last six months, they've kind of like raised anywhere between two, you know, just like a 500K, 400K initial round to all the way to like five, $10 million rounds. And that that is, and also this is all organic, right? Like they're in this ecosystem, there isn't like a, you know, large treasury or a large company that is basically giving free money out to people, right? So that organic traction is playing out. And I think that that is something I'm very proud of. But in terms of looking forward, I think now we'll basically see that, you know, there's a clear kind of like winner emerging from the Bitcoin side, like Stacks is basically the traction of Stacks like dwarfs anything else uh, in, in Bitcoin with the exception of Lightning. I think Lightning is the only other project that, that that is getting traction. And I think once there's a clear winner emerging in the smart contract space from Bitcoin, it becomes easier for developers to decide that, hey, if you want to build Bitcoin smart contract, this is where you need to come and start building uh, your, your applications. So the things I'm really excited about, uh, one would be really fast transactions. We call them hyperchains. Uh, so effectively, you know, you would get Solana-like speeds in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I think that that's, again, going to feel very magical. Like, oh, wow, you can have Bitcoin settlement and the security of Bitcoin, but have really fast transactions in a, in a, in a separate layer. And then I think there is more work on pouring in Bitcoin liquidity and potentially uh, bridging to Ethereum and being able to bring some of the assets or applications uh, to interconnect them. So imagine like, you know, bridges between Solana or Ethereum are heavily used. Imagine a, a bridge between Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? Like I think it could be something very, very interesting when people can move their assets uh, more to the Bitcoin side or, or, or back to Ethereum. Well, look, Manib, it's great to catch up with you again. You know, you're, you're definitely my favorite Bitcoiner. Um, it's nice to talk about Bitcoin beyond just price movement or, um, you know, the, the kind of important, but probably saturated conversation around, you know, hedge against inflation and stuff like that. Um, I think the Bitcoin ecosystem and, and crypto more generally is, is richer for having you in it and, and Stacks being successful in it. So really great to catch up with you again and um, looking forward to doing so uh, over the next year. Awesome. It's always great to come back and, and catch up. Thanks so much. I, I really enjoyed the chat. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.